This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I am delighted to welcome Juan Riedinger. Eh? Did I do that? That was perfect. Wait, how about this? Juan Riedinger to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Juan Riedinger is a multi-hyphenate, which means when we're talking about Juan Riedinger, we're talking about several different guys on several different paths who are all actually the same guy. Okay, I'm, I'm confusing myself. Allow me to introduce you to a few different Juans. Let's begin with Juan Riedinger, actor. Juan starred on CBC searing spy thriller The Romeo Section and played drug-running aviator Carlos Lader in Netflix's hit, eh, Netflix's hit series Narcos. He's won multiple Leo Awards, including two in 2013 for Best Performance in a Web Series and Best Performance in a Youth or Children's Series, so not Narcos. Juan spent time in New Orleans recently filming a meaty role in Claws, a TNT series about manicurists in Florida who enter the world of organized crime when they begin laundering money for a neighboring pain clinic. Then there is Juan, Juan Riedinger, award-winning director, and Juan Riedinger, editor of short films. He has 14 short films under his belt, including Birthday, which won the A&E Short Filmmakers Award in 2013, and A Snake, a snake Marked, which starred his old friend Adam Lolliger. Lollic- oh, shit. See, that's the thing. I work <laughs> in print usually. This is... Got to confirm the names. Adam Lolliker as a prisoner who receives a couple of unwelcome visitors during a critical period in his incarceration. I know a few other things that reveal the complexity of Juan Riedinger, mostly from conversations we've had at industry events over the last few years. I know he grew up in Banff. I know he wanted to be a vet. I know he learned editing software by hanging out for hours and hours at a time in an Apple store. Pretty sure he rapped to win the world on Godiva's. I know he played in the World Series of Poker. I know he is married to the brilliant and talented actress, filmmaker, and friend of the podcast, Agam Darshi. And I know that they are the parents to twin boys. I also know, and I can tell kind of just by looking at him, that he gets really, really jet-lagged because he just got back from a very exciting and extensive adventure three days ago. So we are getting jet-lagged and heavily bearded Juan Riedinger. So today we're going to talk about what I don't know, the hows and the whys and the whats of Juan Riedinger. How does he see himself? What does he want? How has parenthood changed him? What's next? Juan Riedinger, all of you, one of you, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much, Sabrina. It is such a pleasure to be here. You are an editor, <clears throat> actor, director, dad, partner, explorer, former aspiring vet, Apple Store loiterer. Who are you? Like, how do you think of yourself, especially with all of those labels swirling around your head? Um, I think of myself as, I guess, as a bit of a gypsy. And mm. uh, one, one thing I've always 
prided myself on is my sense of adventure. I love adventure. And yeah. I love not necessarily knowing what the future holds. I love exploring different things and it keep it just keeps everything really exciting and I love growing through stretching my muscles in different areas and so I I guess I don't know I guess that's how I see myself how much of that do you think comes from your from your blood memory like who are your who, who are your parents who are your people like what kind of lives did they lead to get to you the, I would definitely describe them as adventurers as well my mom is uh, from Peru yeah. and and my dad is is German. So the we see where the Juan and the Riedinger. <laughs> exactly, that's where the combination comes. People don't in. call you Juan Riedinger though; they, it's your Juan. It's it's Juan. I, <laughs> I I don't even pronounce it right myself. But if my mom had her way, everybody would call me Juan. Juan. Yeah. Juan Riedinger. Yeah. Okay. And well, actually, for she, you, my name was supposed to be um, Mateo, but. Right at the last minute, my mom said no because I don't want people to call him Matt because she wanted the Spanish version of it. Yeah, I so think she's that like, that's important. Yeah, and then so she's like, let's call him Juan, and then uh, now it's not Juan anymore; it's Juan, which it is what it is. I mean, they could. I mean, it could have been changed to John, or Johnny, that, exactly. And yeah. now my son's middle name is Mateo, so we snuck that in there. You know, you one of your sons. Your sons is. Are their names public knowledge? Can I say their names? Uh, sure, that's yeah. fine. So one of your, your son's names is Taj, yes. which is my sister's middle name. Oh, no way. That's yeah, so cool. because my parents wanted to. I mean, naming is very important, especially when you come from like cultures that are wildly different. My, I'm Ukrainian and Indian. And so uh, my my parents wanted to make sure that the Indian was represented in the middle name. Right. You know, so I am Rani and my sister is Taj. So that's I was amazing. like, yay, yeah. when I saw the name, I was like, that's so cool. I know, the middle names come in handy because we're trying to satisfy everybody and with the German, Peruvian, Indian heritage, it's, it was, uh, it was a, a lot of checks to make and or boxes to check and so uh, we, we managed to make everybody happy, I think. Um, I'm really curious how, now were you born in Banff? I was born in Banff. So you're like one of like the rare people who's born in Banff. So I wanna know how, uh, a Peruvian and German couple meet and then how they end up having a kid in Banff. Like, cause I mean, for international listeners, like Banff is, it's like a mountain town, really. I mean, it is a, I mean, I've only dr- driven through in the summer and then seen a lot of photos. And I know a lot of our, our friends and colleagues go to Banff every year to get creative at the art center there. But yeah, what is their origin story? Well, as the story goes, my dad wanted to travel the world, and um, he stopped in Banff, and he wanted to go uh, to learn Spanish so that he could go pick up pick up some ladies. <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> I love the honesty in that in that origin story this is, as well. And it, but it turns out that his <laughs> Spanish teacher was my mom, and oh. uh, so that's that's where they met in the classroom. She was the teacher; he was her student, and. They took a liking to each other, and I guess the rest is history. Um, yeah. And they were, I don't know exactly what they were doing in Banff. I mean, I think it's a place that attracts people from all over the world. It's just yeah. such a beautiful area. And so that's that's where they met, and that's where they still live to this day. Yeah. So Growing I, up in the shadow then of the of the mountains and, you know, in this kind of place where every, where most, most of the people have come from away, like, what kind of kid were you? And what did you want to be when you grew up? I, I mean, I did mention in the intro the, yeah. the vet aspect. Yeah, well, the, okay, so that came a bit later, I guess. Oh, you didn't, you weren't like five and being like, I'm going 
you help no, puppies. No, my first dream was to be a garbage man, which is ironic because I think we're hearing one in the in yeah. The our here. listeners are are used to that. <laughs> I know. Um, it's just it's uh, we actually should have this company sponsor us. It's <laughs> the uh, a- angry organic uh, delivery and trash drivers. Yeah, yeah. but no, but that, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to do because I'd see these guys come and pick up the garbage and I'd be like, I want to do that one day, make, making something that was dirty clean and um, and then. They should have featured you in an advertising campaign or something, because that's really beautiful. Because most people, I would say, have a different reaction when they see a, a garbage truck. I mean, for us, we're like, okay, let's keep a distance, because it's going to smell. I know. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I think it started one time. I had a lemonade stand one time, and a garbage man came to purchase some lemonade, and he just reached in his pocket and pulled out just a fistful of coins that added up to way more than the lemonade was worth. But he just, he's like, just keep it, kid. And I was like, he became my instant hero at that moment. And I, I think that might have had something to do with it. I don't know. but wow. um, So that was the first thing. That's so beautiful. That's like an Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. And the, <laughs> the, the older, like, you know, um, treasure hunter takes his hat and yeah. puts it on Indy's head. Yeah, maybe one day I'll play it. I haven't played a garbage can in a uh, garbage man in a show yet, but uh, if that happens, it'll one day come full circle. Uh, but the Banff is an interesting town because it's a blend of this beautiful, pristine nature, these natural surroundings, mountains and lakes and forests, and but then it's also a party town. Mm. Um, it, I think it, at one one time, Rolling Stone actually labeled it the STD capital of the world. <laughs> Years ago, hopefully it's not that anymore. And that's something that a company should not include in their marketing uh, material. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just STD capital of the world, eh? So it, you were a teenager then, yeah, in a town that was a party town. It was a party town, and so we definitely partied when uh, when we were in our late teens and and got into some some trouble there with, yeah. with some buddies. And I mean, it's a small town, and. Um, we were just bound to get in trouble. Um, Yeah. And so it was kind of a weird juxtaposition between those two worlds. There was also a lot of the outdoor activities and stuff which which shaped me in in a way. I spent so much time wandering forests. And actually, my other son's name is Forest. That's right. And I think, uh, and that was a big thing for me. I really connect to forests. I really really love love that environment. So it was was just a weird blend. And I guess that together, those those shaped me. Did you think you were going to stay? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I think I always had aspirations to to go elsewhere. Yeah, uh, acting never came into the picture for me when I was in Banff because I, my school never didn't really have a an acting or a theater program. There were some extracurricular programs, but I just was never really introduced to it, and it yeah. wasn't an interest of mine. And so I, yeah, I never even thought about acting when I was in Banff. Yeah, puppies, kittens, animals. Tell me about that. About pets that I've had? No, look, isn't it part of your story that you? Oh, with the veterinarian. With the sorry, veterinarian. Yeah. Okay. The reason I focus on the puppies and the kittens is because there was a period when I was five, where I saw some puppies and some kittens, and I'm like, I am gonna be a vet one day. Yeah. And that didn't last long when yeah. I realized that you know it's there's blood. It's a hard, it's it's hard. You have to, you're not, it's not just like snuggling cats and dogs all the time. It's getting in there. Exactly. You know, and saving lives and dealing with a lot of trauma. So I was like, oh, not for me. Yeah, someone else can, can take care of that. that. Kind of the similar thing for me, actually. I ended up, I think everybody at some point in their life or a lot of people want to be a veterinarian because yeah. it's just like, who doesn't love animals? And Serial killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
and then I ended up volunteering at a vet clinic in Canmore, the neighboring town to Banff. Um, and the lovely place, lovely people, but I did realize very quickly that it was it was very uh, tedious a little bit, the, the work that we, they were doing, and a lot of just spaying and neutering animals, which is obviously very important, but it's mm-hmm. just... I don't know. It just lo- it, it lost a little bit of the um, appeal, and I was my my role was kennel technician, which sounds a lot fancier than it was. I was basically I would take the dogs for a walk, but it was more about cleaning up after them. Um, yeah. So it was. Uh, and wait a second, this is like kennel technician. I'm assuming too, if you're looking after animals that are in a vet clinic, you're not just like getting rid of stuff. You're measuring stuff. You're examining stuff. You have to write down like, is, am I correct in yeah. assuming that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was fun. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it, it just wasn't the most, it, my heart wasn't in it after that. And, and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with my life? Uh, and then I was, I think I was, this was between semesters in university. I'd already studied, started studying biology Yeah. because I thought that's, that was my path. And then when I realized it wasn't, I was like, oh no, I'm already, I think it was two years in. I was like, now what? And then I remembered that I really liked English class in school. So I was like, I'm going to be an English professor. That sounds cool. So then I... It's a good lateral move. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I shifted the focus more into the the literature in the the English classes. And and then uh, that was about three years, or I guess three and a half years of in total of doing both of those things. I, w- I ended up doing a double major in both English and biology. Yeah, get those credits. Why not? I was already in there <laughs> that far, so I was like, I went for it. But but it was in my third year that I actually decided I, I needed to take an elective, just yeah. a, a, an optional class. And I was flipping through the calendar and I was like, theater, that sounds easy. Um, I just, it seemed like an Famous easy- Famous last word. I know, right? But it, <laughs> it, it just sounded like, because my head was, I, I was felt like I was just so overwhelmed with the class. I was taking uh, zoology and physics for the biology side of things and biology, obviously. And, and then the other side of my brain with the, the essay writing and poetry and all that stuff. And I, was, it was, I was being bombarded with all these different sides of my brain. being, And I was like, maybe just getting on my feet and doing something like theater just will get me, will ground me a little bit. And, yeah. And, and it did seem like it might be easier. And, and that was my first exposure to acting, third year of university. Wow. So I guess I was 22 years old. So 22 years old, you step into that acting class then. What kind of feeling did you find there? Uh, it was... It was was a, it easy? Um, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, that's very telling. And I think that's what it was, is it just... it felt effortless yeah and um it was a spring course so it was everything was condensed and i had i think it was either one or two months that we had to learn do do the entire semester's worth of of classes in and the first assignment for the class was monologues we all had to learn monologues i can't remember how many people were in the class maybe 14 16 people and they randomly after we'd prepared our monologues i'd never done a monologue for anybody yeah uh after we prepared, we show up and they're like, hey, we're gonna randomly draw a name for who goes first, and my name was drawn. So I didn't even get to see anybody else do it. So I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So it was, it was I felt very naked and it was a very raw kind of experience, but um, I, I got up there and I did it, and that was that was the moment for me where I really just, just fell in love. Like it was, it was, it was a big turning point in my life doing that monologue. Actually, yeah. Do you remember what monologue it was? <laughs> it's funny. I, you were gonna ask that. I, uh, 
I, I used to, I, I knew the monologue for years after, but I actually can't recall the actual production, unfortunately. So, um, so it's lost it's, the time. It's, well, I, I, I'll have to look it up again. I can probably do some digging. Um, okay. But in some ways, it's there's something beautiful about not knowing what it was. I don't know. But I that was that was it for me. And I, I love I love hearing that too. I mean, we had Michael Eklund in here talking about finding a feeling, like a magic feeling, and then spending a lot of like once he's had that feeling, he's like, I want that feeling Mm -hmm. and then he spends his career chasing what that feeling is Mm -hmm. you know although granted that feel that that idea of that feeling struck him when he was like five years old but Mm -hmm. you know it's like I love I love hearing about that moment when you know inspiration strikes lightning strikes it's you know because it's like the beginning of a a hot complicated romantic passionate relationship right like Absolutely. you know because it's like this is who I am I'm what I'm going to be doing you know so well and I think when you first start out that feeling is so much more accessible uh, yeah. because of the naivety of it all you don't you don't you don't have anything to compare it to and you're just everything is just new and fresh and everything but then I mean I've been doing I've been acting now I guess about 15 years and so I've 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 become a brand new person probably five times since that Mm -hmm. and um so I definitely still do get that feeling but it it's it happens maybe in different ways um and not I don't think as frequently yeah and but it it it, yeah it, it manifests itself in a different form maybe I don't know but it's 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 interesting um yeah, and then with that class, actually, one I've, I've, I've never told anybody this, but at the end of the semester, at the end of the the spring course, the the teacher did these awards, uh, anonymous or is that the word? They because they they would they you, nobody else would know what the other person was awarded. It was just like you draw. They, she gave you a piece of paper and you open it and you have to keep it to yourself. I'm yeah. sharing it now. It's been 15 years. I feel like. I can share now. I think we're good. I, I think, think we're, we're good. good. <laughs> yeah, the cone of silence is probably over. Yeah, and when I when I opened it, it it said most talented, and for me that was the push. Yeah, because the feeling is one thing, but I'm also a, a practical guy, and I I think if it was just based on the feeling. Um, it, it almost wouldn't be enough yeah. because it's it's hard to just go with that and not know if there's going to be any practical payoff. It's right. such a big leap. But just that one piece of paper that she gave me. Somebody else saw it. Somebody else identified yeah. it and it validated it for me. Yeah. And it was that that pushed me. And I was in my car a couple of weeks later. I drove to L.A. I was sleeping in my car for, for two months until the next semester started. I was auditioning for absolutely anything I could you went right to LA I went straight to the lion's den and wow. um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing um, didn't didn't have a an agent yeah it, it was it was but it was amazing I would like the whole sleeping in my car I I would decide where to sleep where where I could plug my my cell phone in at the time and internet wasn't really all that prominent like like yeah. smartphones and things and so it was uh, it was really hard like I had a hard map that would I would get to auditions with like a, a paper map and that's how I would get around the city and so that's that was I guess that's the the origins of it all what did you learn during that time in LA I mean besides the practicalities of living in your car uh yeah exactly I well I learned that it's 
the whole practical side of the the industry of like having to go to auditions that was that was my first time actually going through that process because yeah. it's one thing to be in an acting class but now we're introducing that practical side yeah and so that was my crash course and, and what did you find there like what was it did you enjoy the process or what was it horrifying no i i, I loved it actually yeah. um yeah. it was because again it was i was so naive and it was so everything was brand new and it was exhilarating yeah. i i loved it i felt like i was living something out of like a, a movie or something like i was in a script yeah the, the experiences i was having and um it was have you have you written anything based on that time? Actually, I have not. No, yeah. no, that's that's not a bad idea. But um, well, I mean, so we have the gar the garbage collector story <laughs> already. So we're gonna make a list of all the different movie ideas we're coming up with today. So that one, and then um, Juan in Los Angeles, which is I'm gonna call you Juan. Juan, yeah, I love it for sure. your mother. Okay, I'm a mother, and I, I understand. My everybody calls my daughter Mariana. It's Mariana. Mariana, from, I, my cousin's yeah. name is Mariana. Yeah. <laughs> Or or Mari or Mariana Daria or yeah. Mariana Daria Firminger, <laughs> but yeah, but like yeah, that that I mean, to what an exciting time as well. And, and when you were there, were you connecting with other actors, other creatives, or were you very much like just like the the guy moored in his car? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that guy in the car. The guy um, in the car. <laughs> I, I think I was more the guy in the car. I, I yeah. did not. That wasn't really part of my agenda down there, like making those those connections and networking and all that yeah. stuff. That that wasn't really it. I did manage to get cast in a couple very small things. Oh yeah. Um, I I did a short film. It was like a student film for a director named Drake Doremus, who is now uh, actually a very big name in Hollywood. He's done uh, some huge huge movies that are very well respected, and he's an award winning director and um hey, it's everybody's so gotta start somewhere right well exactly and it's <laughs> just interesting because uh yeah he at that time when i met him on that little short film um that was just where he was at in his career and yeah. he's just like absolutely skyrocketed so it's just it is really interesting i wasn't meaning though about like making like networking or like making connections but like i also know you know that you have some very close friends right that you've collaborated with through the years and you know like you're you hold your friendships very close I'm, th I'm thinking of you know your of andrew the actor andrew composer well, yeah, yeah. And, and and also adam lolliker and and you know like that that your friendships there are very are close so and these are other people who are artists as well you know so I'm just I'm just wondering at, at what point uh, you started welcoming other people into your car <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it, I guess yeah there wasn't much in that time in LA I did meet a a, a Buddhist uh, young guy who was a Buddhist and he was had nothing to do with the industry but he let me sleep on the floor of his hotel for a week because he, he found out I was I think I met him at a bus stop or something and he found out I was sleeping in my car he's like come stay with me man and we actually had a nice time. He was really, and and we're still in touch on Facebook and all that. But um, but no, in terms of connections with other artists, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the community here in Vancouver. Uh, I love catching up with people. I have so much respect for just the depth of talent and the personalities in this city. Like it's it's really, Vancouver has so much to offer, and and there's just so many kind-hearted and talented people that live here. Um, but in terms of people that I regularly hang out with, yeah, it's 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 a small circle. I mean, I'm for me now, it's about my my family, and yeah. um, I don't get out much. I'm I am actually when I'm not 
in Africa or something. I am very much a homebody. And uh, <laughs> I love the extremes of that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, did you guys do like a, a caravan trip across Europe that, or something like last last summer or something? Or yeah, I guess six months ago or whatever oh, it was this this summer. Wow. Yeah, this been a With wild. The twins. Twenty nineteen has been insane. We started it off in Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, for ten days. In the middle of the year, we did the camper trip with the twins across through Europe, five countries, and then we ended it with Africa. So it's been, it's been a pretty amazing, and we, and we're we're aware of like it's just we're very lucky to to get yeah. to to get to do that stuff. Uh, I'll be so interested to see the impact that that has on Forest and Taj. You know that kind of of exploration. You know, I mean that they come from these from from these people who are who are wanderers you know and and dreamers like i wonder if they're gonna go they'll continue in that path or they're gonna go like totally the opposite of you right exactly yeah well i like to think that they they'll be because i got it from my parents too they would do the same thing with us yeah uh, and i feel like it's in my blood and i i th- i would hope to be able to pass that on to them and and one big thing is adaptability i mm. think this world's such a crazy place i think if you giving your your children adaptability and being able to kind of adjust to different environments and experience different cultures and people i think is is one of the biggest gifts you can give so i hope i hope to pass that on to them i can't believe that we're getting to this point of the episode and we haven't talked about <laughs> rufus yet and we haven't talked about carlos yet and we haven't talked about rapping on godivas you know, and we haven't talked about directing or editing like that is actually one of the joys of this of this show is that you know just you just go you just go see where you end up yeah in the car I mean usually we get into a time travel travel vehicle and go somewhere but no we're we're just in your in your LA car and just driving around and seeing stuff I do want to talk about uh, Rufus however because um, so that is Rufus the character you played on Romeo section um one, because I have very strong feelings about that show. Mm-hmm. Two, because I visited you on the set of, of Romeo Section. I interviewed you in your in your trailer, which was parked in the Canada, when Canada Post was like a big film studio, which was so That's rad. Amazing. It was really cool, and I've knocked it down in there. It's, it's all sad. And, and also three, because I feel like, and this is totally my my opinion you don't have to agree with me but i think that chris haddock has just been treated so poorly you know mm-hmm. by by the uh the national broadcaster and he's so underrated and we are so like hashtag blessed to have him mm-hmm. telling stories so t- tell me about about the experience being rufus and what what did you what were some of the things that you enjoyed about playing that particular character he was a bit of a hot mess he was a, <laughs> he was a hot mess a lot of the characters i play are but yeah, he, uh he was <laughs> He was a special one, um, and I. It was that was a, definitely a career highlight for me getting to play that role. Um, I, I got the part, but just Chris Haddock doesn't like. To, he starts off the audition process by just doing a meeting. At least for this, he did. Uh, so it wasn't even reading the lines or anything. It was just meeting and, and talking. And he's he's very. He's very much about his instincts, and he, I think he can get a good read off people. So. Was it just him? Uh, it was him and and the casting director Judy Lee that were in the room. You and Judy and just and Chris and kicking it. Just wow. Yeah, and uh, and he and what was cool for me was in getting to play that. It, well, first of all, it was the first time I got it was it was like a lead of a series which I'd never 
gotten to do. Yeah, I saw you on posters all over town. That was very that exciting. That was a trip. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I just, I still can't believe it. We, we did two seasons of it. And I think by the time it was all done, I st- it was still sinking in that, yeah. I got, that I got to do it. I was just so grateful for every second I got to be a part of that show. Chris Haddock is like a, he's one of those rare breeds. Um, I, to, I see him as a mentor. Like he, I have so much respect for that man and his aesthetic and his his vibe and just the person that he is, the risks that he takes. Yeah. And um, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he, I remember the moment that I knew I got the part. We were doing a, like a test, they were doing like screen tests. At, this is later in the in the process, like kind of pairing actors together to get yeah. chemistry and all that. And after, uh, it, there was a moment where I just found myself kind of off to the side with Chris and he looks at me and he, and he kind of leans over and he goes, you're in. And for me, it was, it, it, that, and that's such a Chris way to do it, right? Yeah. I just, I couldn't help myself. I, just, I, I had to hug him in that moment. And it was just this, I just, it felt so good. And I, again, I still can't believe I got to do it. Rufus playing him. I mean, I feel like I was kind of meant to play that role in terms of, I don't know why. I just, it just felt so, it was a, so much fun and I got to really just like the explore the hot mess like yeah, you say. Yeah, I mean he was he was a dirtbag. He, he was, was a I mean, well, well I mean how would you do What are some of the words that you would use to describe Rufus? He was it's like broken. I'm, he was He was broken, but he was also uh very uh he was confident in his own instincts. Yeah. He tr- cuz that's all he basically he was this big ball of instincts. I wouldn't describe myself necessarily as that, but I do operate very much from a place of instinct yeah. in everything that I do. And I feel like maybe that's something that connected me to that character. Yeah. Um, and he was just, he was ta- he was biting off way more than he could chew. And yeah. he's, he, I feel like he was always stuck between a rock and a hard place and had to figure out, had to use his instincts and his his brains to sort of get himself out of, out of those situations and, and then, flip it so that it was actually uh flip it to his benefit um and yeah just getting to play in that world with the the other cast that we had um can we talk about like the what i loved about the cast uh is that you know you had people like brian markinson who his his season two arc is like one of my my favorites that i've ever seen on television and you had andrew early and then like the discovery of manny jacinto who has like (laughs) gone on to have this like you know massive career you know he's like oh my god and that was one of his very first i know and that role roles. is so different from the the his kind of breakout role in yeah the good place <laughs> the good like, place you can have two more polar opposite roles but actually. chris saw something chris too. saw something and man, man manny was a killer in that role he was so so good and uh as you have markinson and andrew early and and Eugene and Lipinski and and all all, all the guys and the, and the girls too. Uh, yeah. We had Steph Bennett and uh, oh yeah, yeah, and Brandy Alexander in the second season. And but she, they were and just, I think um, uh, an actress named Agam Darshi as and well. And Agam Darshi, she, yeah, she, <laughs> she she showed up there. She showed up there for sure. We never crossed paths though. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't cross paths my, with Brian Markinson either. Our storylines never never crossed. But um, but t- you cross. Pass with Teach though, right? Teach Grant, yeah. Who you ended up going and, and working with on a on on a Valine's film, exactly. Which I can't believe I didn't include in the intro. That's <laughs> another one of my favorite my favorite films from uh, from recent years as oh, that's well. Awesome. Yeah, yeah once another there was a kind of once. Yeah, and that's a 
another dirt bunch of dirt bags. Dirt bags. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, I got to meet teach on the Romeo section. Yeah. And, um, and we uh, we really hit it off, and then we played brothers in in that film. And how does but how does that experience change you then of working on a on a show like that? Like how like in what ways do you think like you're carrying Romeo section with you now? Um, I think you mean from a character perspective. I don't or? know what I mean. I mean, okay, so there's this saying that I love that it is I am a part of all that I have met. I love that. It's this idea that, you know, the thing that we meet people and they imprint on us, meaning things that are meaningful imprint on us in some way. And then we we carry it. We carry it on, you know, and I'm assuming when you're an actor and you have to, you know, immerse yourself in roles, become somebody else, get to know somebody else and like somebody else, you mm-hmm. know, who you might not like in other circumstances, you know, these like, you know, dirtbag broken people like that. That has an impact on you in some way. So, yeah, I, I think. For me, I mean, I as I mentioned before, I just really, it, it felt like, it felt so tr- true. Uh, let me let me figure out a way to say this. <clears throat> Getting to play Rufus, I felt like so at home in mm. the skin of that character, and I I just I really owned it, and it felt so um, organic, and yeah. I feel like that gave me this sort of confidence in myself, in my in what I can bring to the table. Um, and and getting to watch, a sh- I, re- I just loved watching the show. Not, I mean, there were so many elements happening at the same time and how it all tied together. Yeah. But it just, I just, I, f- I guess I get a sense of pride from from getting to be, getting to have been a, a part of something like that. And yeah. that's, the, when I look back at my life, not all the roles that you play are, are going to be like, um, Resonate as much with yeah. with you as much as I like to think they are. I, I some of them are jobs. They got to be yeah, jobs. Yeah, and unfortunately that it is right. Yeah. And um, but with that role, it was definitely not a job. I would have done that for free. Yeah. I don't I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, well, it's a past well, in the past. Yeah. So well, it, yeah. So you know exactly. Well, no. Go, he likes getting paid. Yeah, exactly. The, the rate's gone up, yeah. everybody. But um, <laughs> but that role in particular, which is in the past, just that one. Yeah, past tense. <laughs> but um, no, I just it just felt so right to get to play that role, and I think it it'll be with me forever for that reason. We can all, all of us who know who watched the show, c- can agree that it was canceled way before its time. There were still stories to tell. It was dynamic. What happens to you then if you care so much about that role in that show as as to your spirit, to your confidence, when a show like that that you care about is is canceled before it's time? Yes, definitely. Uh, I get angry when I talk about Romeo section. I was like yelling at, at Kevin Eastwood and he was like, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, and I'm so happy that you were such a fan of, of the show. Um, it's. It was de- it was really gutting actually to to get the news. Um, at the same time, we didn't know if we'd get more than one season. And um, when I getting the news that we were going a second season for me was it's like yes we get to do it all over again and, yeah. and there's that feeling. So uh, at the end of the day, I mean there are so many things that are beyond your control and you just have to you 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 can't be too greedy I guess. You, yeah. You just have to take take I. I I'm so happy that we we got the two seasons and it is just such an unfortunate thing we didn't get more but yeah well, you're much calmer about it than I am. <laughs> I guess it also helped too maybe to lessen the blow that you also had uh 
had Narcos as well going on at about the same yeah. about the same time, right? Narcos happened before. Happened before, but yeah. it was coming out. Right. Because I believe, if I'm remembering our intro, I'm closing my eyes, I'm back in your trailer on that. Because we did talk about Carlos, mm-hmm. and it was before Carlos had come out. So if I'm remembering the the timing, totally different experience for you, right? But, yeah. you know, but tell me about how fun that was. Oh, another, talk about career highlights. That was another one. And he was a dirtbag. Yeah, Carlos was, and but he was a real life dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. That, and that was the difference is <laughs> Rufus was fictional. Carlos is actually still alive to this day. Uh, in prison. In, in, I believe, witness protection. If I remember correctly, um, I don't know why I just didn't go back and read all the articles I've written about you. I'm just before this interview. I'm like, <laughs> if I remember correctly, he was he was not Peruvian German, but he was definitely he was Colombian. He German. was Colombian German, and he was like a he was a drug runner. He like flew the actual. Uh, it's, it's the story of Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. And, but he was uh, a member of the Medellin cartel. Yeah. Okay. With, with Pablo. And yeah, he was flying drugs between. And he was a Nazi. Yeah, well, he, he, like, he was a he idolized Adolf Hitler and John Lennon, so he was a he's an interesting one. But he also had a swastika tattoo on on his um, shoulder, wow. um, so there was no hiding that. Uh, and dude, like I guess my like I I always have this question when I when I'm sitting across from a lovely human being who plays like has played an awful person. Do you have to find empathy? or to like the character you're playing in some way in order to to play that role? Uh, Yeah, I think you, I think you do because if you're really putting yourself in his shoes, in his skin, in his soul, uh, then you have to, uh, then you're there. And you, 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 I think you have to be okay with with those those beliefs and those uh, those behaviors. Uh, so there has to be, but it, but it's it's a subjective empathy versus an objective empathy, in terms of in 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 the sense that it's an empathy that you feel when when you're being that person. But when you're uh, yeah. when you're when you're quote unquote in character, uh, I think I don't know. I've, I guess I'm kind of. I don't know. I haven't thought about that specifically too much, but but I think now you you're st- going to think about no, it. Exactly. Do I like this person? When you stand back, <laughs> obviously, and and look at some of the horrible things they've done, and it's a lot harder to be empathetic. But yeah. Yeah. I think you have. I to guess be it's when good you're to like them. understand where somebody's coming from, anyways, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're like don't uh, agree with. But wow, that must have been really interesting to try to like understand the viewpoint of somebody who idolized. Hitler and John Lennon. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot out there about Carlos. I didn't have tons to go off of in, in researching him. There, there is one documentary that was made, so that yeah. that, that was that was helpful. It would have been nice to meet him, but it was an impossibility. Um, so yeah, and you take and then, and then you take creative liberties as well. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, it was it was it was definitely an incredible experience to get to play him though yeah well it's an incredible experience to watch and this was not a bc production i mean you were you were in far away climbs filming tell me about the experience of filming then and some of your memorable moments if i remember correctly you might have broken aerospace law or something by flying an airplane yes this is true (laughs) uh we were i was in columbia for two months and we were kind of bouncing all over the country 
Medellin and um, Bogota, and then we went to the jungle um, yeah. called, area called Villa Vicencio. And people did not mispronounce your name then. Your mom was probably super happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing about that role is actually it was my first t- real time actually acting in Spanish. Wow. Which uh, that was terrifying. And not only Spanish, but because um, we had a dialect coach, you want to try to get it as close to the, the, the certain type of Spanish, which in this case was Colombian, Colombian Spanish. Yeah. Um, the dialect coach was very helpful. I got away with it a little bit more uh, because Mike, he, he was like he was half German, and there was that. Um, but when you when you watch the show, it's all, there's it's so inconsistent the the accents for all the actors. Like Pablo <laughs> Escobar, you could tell he's uh, Brazilian like, yeah. as a Spanish speaker. But most people who don't speak Spanish can't tell no the difference. Idea. And Luis Guzman, he's such he's just so Puerto Rican in, in how he talks. Yeah. I, and, but peop, and but he's playing a Colombian guy, and, and people were. They can suspend it was, disbelief. Yeah. Exactly. Not so, this, it wasn't as hard as when you watch Chernobyl and you're like, oh, these Russians and Ukrainians have British accents. Well, they, we're yeah. just going to leave it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pe- people, in, I guess, are they don't identify all the different nuances of the, the Spanish here, at least from America and Canada. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will get to that point. Yeah. But um, please... For the audience, can you tell the story of when you illegally flew right, the airplane? Sorry, I was going to get into that. And so <laughs> one scene, I actually went to Panama to shoot. Uh, and it was basically just me and this harem of women because the guy was a, he was a party animal. Yeah. He was known for that. And uh, he had a private island. Uh, and so we shot that scene in Panama. And uh, there was a scene where where, my, where he was flying a, an aircraft as one of these small passenger planes. And they didn't really tell me much about it. We, I just showed up um, and they're like, okay, we're going to go up today. And then I think it was like as we were like getting into the plane, they're like, you, so yeah, um, you're going you're gonna to f- fly this? And I, and I said, excuse me? <laughs> um, so the way it worked is there was a co-pilot. Like, well, he, I, was, I was the co-pilot, but there was a, there was a pilot that was navigating and, and he had control, but he, there was a second set of controls uh, that so he can relinquish control to me and and I can take over. That's where I can actually steer the airplane. So when we were in the sky, like those young drivers' cars, something like that. Yeah, where there's like the two steering wheels and it, the brake, two brakes and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So it was it was a version of that. It's like the learner's plane. Yeah. Yeah. And so still when still terrifying though. Yeah. You should not have been operating that one. No, I know. Yeah. And I didn't, and they didn't even have me sign a waiver or anything. Um, it was it, things were different in Colombia. It was like kind of the Wild West. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of there were a lot of situations where. Um, the rules were not only bent, but probably straight up broken. Um, but the, and that this might've been one of them. Uh, so then, yeah, oh yeah, anyways, long story short, I was up in the sky and then they're like, okay. And, and, and I was on camera while doing this, like with the camera was inches from my face. Yeah. And so I had to like, okay, I've been doing this for, this is my career, like I'm a career pilot. Like yeah. I, I know how to do it. And I'm confident, like, confident and I'm not terrified. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so then, yeah. And, and then at the end of the day, they ended up using like two seconds of it in the in the cut. But um, it was yeah. I got to fly the plane. I got to steer it. It felt like the most intense video game I've ever played yeah. in my life. And uh, you didn't die. And I did not die. And that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, but and then landing the plane that would have been different. But they didn't have me do that, thankfully. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that story. Um, before we take our break. 
and we're going to switch gears and meet some other Juans when we get back. But are there any roles that you won't do now that you absolutely would have done earlier in your career? Oh, that's a good question. I try to have like one, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, it's, mm, I, to be honest, no. I mean, when I first started out, I prided myself on, I, I wanted to be an actor that could do absolutely any role. And I, I wanted to have this vast array of different kinds of characters and, and not be pigeonholed into kind of one type of character. Uh, and so I wanted to do everything. Um, I think the more that I've done this, I recognize uh, what I bring to the table. And mm. I feel like there are certain roles that I'm just not gonna get cast in as much. Uh, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't do them because uh, I, I still, to this day, I think I would love to take take a shot at any kind of any kind of role. I'm I don't I don't think there's anything that that I wouldn't try to take on, but uh, but I feel like I'm more aware now of of what I bring to the table, and I still resist the whole being pigeonholed. But mm -hmm. I but I have noticed like a shift into a, a certain realm, and I'm okay with that because. I mean, I'm getting cast in those roles for a reason. We're talking about like the the kind of the broken dirt bag. The, yeah. the broken dirt bag. Thank yeah. you, Sabrina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my think... favorite characters on my favorite shows. They leave an impact. You, like it's not not people tied up in a little bow. You know, exactly. Complicated, nuanced, and dark. Is that yeah, dark? I think sketchy <laughs> maybe is a good word. One you word prefer that... sketchy to dirt bag? Mm, maybe I don't know, but. <laughs> You know what I love? I, lo I love the word anti-hero. Okay. That's, that word is something I really connect with. I like to play anti-hero characters. I like, I, sometimes I play straight up villains. Yeah. Um, but there's nice, it's nice when it, there's like that other element where there's like a, some kind of a heroic aspect to that character. And in some ways, the, you mentioned the character of Rufus. Yeah. I feel like he was an, a bit of an anti-hero because there, as, as shady as he was, like, he was doing some pretty impressive things and um, you have to admire the guy. Yeah, and I do. I really do, okay. <laughs> We're gonna take a break. And then when we come back, we are going to switch gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about uh, direct-editing, as my husband calls it, directing nice. and, and editing, and also parenting. Okay. And how that has changed the work that you do and how you see the world. I think that's a pretty damn good cliffhanger. Love it. Let's take that break. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. 
Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. So, we're with a different one. Okay, honestly, though, are we with a different one? Like, is there a big connection? Or what kind of connection or relationship exists between actor and director-editor? Editor. Well, I've like you mentioned in the intro, I, I have directed about 14 films. I've edited about five. And these are all shorts, by the way. Yeah. Uh, five or six. And one thing that I have never done is acted in something that I've directed. Mm. So I, I keep those worlds very separate. Um, just because, I don't know, I'm a bit of a compartmentalizer in, in how I operate. Yeah. And I feel like trying to take on both at the same time just seems like I I don't know. I don't know if I'm the right person to do that. I know some people are great at it. It's yeah. just not my jam. So um, in terms of mm. connection, I mentioned the whole instinct thing earlier. I didn't go to film school. I, I mean, I took those acting classes in university, but I did not go to film school. So I operate, as I mentioned, from a place of, of instinct and yeah. and anything that I've absorbed over the years, whether it be through watching films or television or through working with certain people or uh, life experiences. And and all of that, I, I try to absorb it, but not think about it too much. And mm. um, and so as an artist, when I when I c- come on a, uh, onto a project, then I just try to sort of tap into that life experience, those instincts. And I guess it's the same for when I'm when I'm acting or editing or directing. So God, I think they're all so different, though. And I know this because I'm married to a director, mm-hmm. you know. And like directing is such a different part of the process than editing and frankly like it's in a lot of ways like you have to have a totally different world view to sit there and be an editor mm-hmm. you know you're putting yourself in a very different uh, kind of like like as somebody who has done both you know like do you do you find that they are that they are similar uh, do, do you find that they are that they are in co- in conflict with each other um not necessarily. When do actually. you feel the most powerful? <laughs> I think when I'm editing. Yeah, that's yeah. what I. Yeah, I'm not and surprised. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, all th- all three of 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 those mediums, those crafts, whatever you want to call them, are um, it's, it's storytelling, and so um, I think there definitely are some parallels between between them. I think with with editing, I I've always seen the editor as kind of the god. Of, of of the the end product, I have just like an editor to say just that. Like a, but it's but it, <laughs> honestly though, it's like but it's it's a god, but without ego. Yeah, exactly. And and of course that's that's, a, that, that's kind of a strong term, I guess. But because it, it it is such a collaborative thing, and um, yeah, but but it is the last line of now. Granted, there are there are people who have to sign off on an edit, but yeah. you're making choices about what people are gonna see. Yes, you're shaping. You're, I mean, you're you're dealing with frames that can alter the the the, the entire tone, or yeah. uh, like dropping one frame can make a moment fall flat, or adding a frame can do the opposite. Whatever it is, I I think with editing, it's just um, it's such an intimate thing um, because with yourself, you're in this dark room, and it's it's just you and and the footage and. It's, I find it it's an extremely intimate process and yeah. I, I take my time with it I 
I will never rush the edit. I've I've had the luxury of the, with making short films. Yeah, where, so I'm laughing because it does sound the way you're talking about editing. It sounds kind of creepy, intimate. Like, I'm like, okay, it's gonna yeah. be alone in the dark room. <laughs> it's just yeah. him and the footage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know that, that that now that I think about it, it's a little creepy. But um, and it's always. A, I mean. It's a dark room, you know. It's just you and and what's on your monitors, right? Like, yeah, and then and then finding different ways to see the film for the first time a hundred times, mm-hmm. uh, because and and there are different tricks for that. I, there are, there's a trick where you you watch the film standing up or watch the film from the opposite end of the room or. Uh, just just because it, it it gives you like a different kind of perspective and maybe you'll see something that you didn't see when you had the screen right up in your face yeah or watching the film without sound and and actually some editors don't edit with sound at all um i find it very really? oh yeah yeah that's a big thing uh wait but how do you know what people are saying well after you, you familiarize yourself with the footage enough you get pretty good at reading lips and, uh, and I've, I've only done short films. I'm sure it'd be harder with a full-length feature. But yeah, no, that's that's actually really useful to not have to think about the sound and just look at the images. Yeah, it's such a di- like it's it's honestly it's the kind of like all of this not everybody can do, but especially editing. It's like it's very specific. I'm completely biased, and this is so subjective because I'm married to an editor. Mm-hmm. But it is real. It's it's the kind of patience and worldview that I don't have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I do not have that skill set. Yeah. It's interesting. I There's something that I really love about, uh, I guess, narrowing things down to, I, th- I thought about this and it, I, I play poker. Oh, this is a whole other conversation, but I play tournament poker. Okay. Where you, you start with a pool of people and then you slowly, people get knocked out, knocked out until you get down to the final table and then th- eventually there's just one person left standing and yeah. they're the winner of the tournament. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing with the frames that you're shaving from the edit. Yeah. It's it's that process of elimination. And it might tie into my... I was going to say biology? Could it tie I into was thinking, biology? I was thinking the garbage man thing. Whoa. Okay. No. I, I don't know where you're going with because this. Because it's <laughs> like the frames that you don't use are garbage. Mm-hmm. They end up on the cutting room floor. And there's something really interesting about you're trying to configure these frames in a way that's it's you're you're creating the most optimal end product and whatever you don't end up using you can see as garbage yeah and so i don't know i think there might be some kind of weird tie in there i see more about biology uh because of when you're when you, like look at what a hand like i just see a hand and an editor might see you know every every bone every muscle like every every, every movement you know mm. and the possibilities there like i don't know that's where i was going but the you know mechanics the mechanics of it all the, yeah right um what is a juan Riedinger film uh, um i like to tell stories that have heart i like to I'm fairly minimalist in my approach. I don't like a lot of bells and whistles. Uh, I don't like to necessarily set it in a I l- set it in a specific time or place. Like if I if I can have an element of ambiguity as oh, to yeah. when Snake Marked was like that, couldn't tell when it took place. And that's very yeah. important to me because I feel like when you when you ha- when you're very specific about it, it it dates the film. And I'd I'd, ra- I'd like to tell more universal stories and mm. actually archetypes uh, in terms of characters I, I think are fascinating to me because yeah. they it becomes more of like a, a universal kind of story that maybe people will be able to relate to 50 or 100 years from now yeah. and 
so yeah i i so far that's that's kind of been the i guess elements that have been a part of most of my films yeah now i know that um before you directed a snake marked you told me that you weren't directing any more short films so what was it about a snake marked and that particular project that made you say okay yes one more time <laughs> well partly it was i i took a I think it was eight year hiatus from directing, partly also because of the acting career had really started to take off and I was able to just focus on that. Um, but it was, it was actually, Adam Lawlicker is a very persuasive person. He's a good friend of mine. And he, uh, he, he just talked me into it. And he told me, he, he came up with this story idea and he's like, let's write this thing together. And we ended up kind of, co-writing co the script we're both credited as writers on it and um we really worked it and it became our our baby in a way and i know that adam because he he wrote it kind of he he came up with the idea so that he could um be cast in the lead role and yeah i i knew that because normally i don't like to be assigned a cast when i'm going to take on a project i like to have a f clean slate and be able to cast whoever i want but i knew adam would really go there I yeah. mean, the guy shaved his head completely bald because I asked him to because yeah. um, he was playing a prisoner in the film. And then he lost, I think, 20 pounds. I put him on a strict diet. Um, and we, we went method with I went method with it. We were sleeping in the in the prison that we were shooting in, um, spent a couple nights there with the gear, um, partly for insurance reasons, partly because uh, <laughs> it was just I, I really wanted to for both of us to really be immersed in that space and for it to seep into our pores and so it was I knew that Adam would really go there and he he just talked me into it and it had been such a long time I was like you know what yeah fuck it let's do one more short but I really I don't know if I I, th I think that might be it for shorts I mean if that's it for shorts then that was one to to end on so you you are, have not though left filmmaking behind right no I've been you, you alluded to something be, before I hit record that that there's something hap ex happening that's exciting. Yeah, well, I, I've been wanting to do a, make a feature for years, and that was part of the other reason that I took that hiatus, because I just was looking for a script. Yeah. I, don't f I don't see myself as a writer. I don't love the writing process. I, I actually really enjoy directing other people's screenplays. Yeah. And so I wanted to find a feature, and I've just, I went on this epic search uh, looking for, for a script that I could really commit four, five years of my life to, um, from, from. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a very realistic number. Four right. Or five years. Well, right? because for, for up here, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's going to become like your, your third child. <laughs> exactly. And the way that I operate, like I said, I don't, I don't like to rush things and I'm, so I, I was going to dump my entire heart and soul into whatever it is that I took on. And so for that reason, I was ex hyper, hyper picky. And yeah. there were a couple close calls where we almost said, OK, let's go with this. And then it's like, no, I, I got cold feet. But actually, because it's a relationship, it is a relationship. <laughs> and so I, I ended up uh, finding I think I found my script. Oh, yeah. And it, it was it came to me through I, I, my wife, Agam. She she did the Praxis Screenwriters Lab through the Whistler Film Festival last year. Yes. And there was another uh, they only picked six people, I believe, in in Canada or at the time they did. One of the other writers in the program um, had a script that she thought might uh, might be a good good fit for me. So then when I read that script, it, it did. It's it spoke to me. Um 
and it deals with with uh, gangs up here in, in Vancouver in a way that I've never seen uh, dealt with in any other movie. It's because we, we usually when we see gang movies, it's it's America, and yeah. um, we get that le- we see it through that lens. But I feel like things are done differently up here, and um, and the people look different, and they 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 act different, and yeah. they they operate differently, and um, because the whole crime crime genre is something that I feel has been what where, where my strengths lie um, I felt like my first feature should be something in that realm oh. and so that's so now we're kind of in the later development phase of the screenplay and well, I'm excited I, for this thanks yeah I'm, uh, me too I'm well, I don't know when, we're, when it's gonna happen but I feel I feel like it is which is really it's the first time I felt that with a feature um okay so you'll keep me posted yeah. Can I ask a question that might be going through my listeners' minds right now? Sure. Why don't you just direct something that Algam's written because she's this awesome writer? Um, I she, she is very talented. Yeah. Um, and we—it's funny because we actually haven't worked together a lot in general. Um, we've kept our careers quite separate. Uh, just I don't know why it's worked out that way. I think, um. Maybe we approach the work differently. I mean, we, she's very talented. I, I, but I think it goes back, comes back to, um, just what felt right. The, the, I wanted to not only, I wanted for it to not only be the right story for me to tell, but I wanted me to be the right person to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And I think the stuff that I've read of Agam's, like, as, as great as it is, I just, didn't necessarily I haven't felt like I was the right person so, to yeah, take that on yeah it's not for you to tell exactly oh that's good I like hearing that answer. okay yeah, you're like what <laughs> oh gosh um, can, can we just talk for, about Agam for a minute because sure. she's like she's one of my favorite artists and she's she sat in that same chair and you know spoke spoke very honestly from from her heart about her process but uh, you know you guys met i'm assuming through the industry right you know so like what kind of impact has has your relationship had on your craft like what what do you what do you draw from each other do you think um what do we draw from each other i mean i think we're both well, first of all, as, as partners, like we're both, I describe myself as a gypsy and early on in this in this talk, and I feel like she's kind of the same. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like we have we have similar sensibilities in terms of um, the things we like to watch. Yeah. And the um, in terms of creation, uh, I guess. Well, what's nice is that we give each other the space that we need to mm. um, really. Um, honor our art yeah and because you you understand what the other person needs yeah exactly yeah and okay. i think there's a practical side to that but i think there's also a, a more of a creative side to that that uh is is really important to have if you're because people I've, people have said to me like wow you're an actor and you're with another actor like that's kind of that's kind of crazy and uh because it, and it can be and i think there's there's definitely pros and cons to that dynamic yeah. um it's it is because uh, it's, it's funny though. Earlier on in our career, it almost felt like whenever Agam was working, I was not. Yeah. And whenever I got a gig, then all of a sudden she wasn't working, and it was almost like we were never working at the same time. Yeah. Which is hard for the partner who's not working. Um, but now uh, having kids, it's in some ways the not working 
is also a bit of a blessing because you get to have more time with them. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. I think we've we've just got a good, good got a good thing going. Good thing going. Yeah. And, uh, so it's. Yeah, it's nice. It's not, I don't take that for granted at all. Yeah. Now, I promised Agam when I spoke to her that I would speak with you about about parenthood. Because often a lot of conversations about parenting come when, you know, journalists want to hear from mothers. We don't talk to fathers mm-hmm. about the impact that having kids has on, on their career and their lives. That's for a wealth of reasons. So, But I, I am asking you. How has becoming a dad changed you as an artist? I think I, I'm a lot less precious about acting or, or directing or, or just the work. I'm, yeah. it's, when, when, I first, when I first started out, as I'm sure is the case for a lot of, of actors, I guess we can talk about acting now, but... Uh, Okay, we're speaking to that one. Okay. Yeah, let's <laughs> <laughs> let's talk to him. Uh, I, uh, I I was very precious. I think about everything. It was just I felt so important. Like every job, every opportunity. I was like, but I feel like now, especially, and it's a combination of having done this now for fifteen years, and and then having kids is a big one. Like it's it it just sort of puts the focus in other areas, and. And it allows the work to be less precious, um, which in some ways I, th- I think has improved me, improved what I bring to it. Because um, I think it's maybe taken my ego out of it a little yeah. bit. And that's I, the precious, the that's, preciousness. That's the yeah. preciousness is the, the ego side yeah. of it. And I think when you when you have kids, I think your ego takes a beating. <laughs> Was that sigh heavy enough for you? <laughs> Man. Yeah, you get it. You my get ego it. is in tatters <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. It, yeah. Cuz you It's <laughs> But I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Love you, Mariana. <laughs> exactly. And so Oh man. Yeah. But I think that's actually kind of a blessing when it comes to, to the creative side of things. I think the, the ego can be a bit of an your enemy sometimes. It, yeah. Uh when when it starts to speak too loudly and so the kids the kids have helped in that way and and also just it's it's it turns you into a kid again in some ways especially my kids are three and a half years old oh. so i'm still like on my knees on the floor yeah. playing with their little toys and doing puzzles with them and singing songs with them and so it's Mari's like, nine we still do that well ex- yeah. exactly as long as you committed to playing yeah she'll be in her 20s we'll still be doing that exactly yeah and i think as an artist like that's what it really comes down to is is play and so when you when you have kids it allows you to sort of tap into that in a way that maybe you didn't before yeah um thank you for answering that question one of the rare i will make a point now always moving forward of asking dads new dads about about that um do they know what you do do like do the kids know what you and agam do (laughs) for your for your quote-unquote jobs um, I think they're now starting to understand it. Actually, it's funny you say that because Agam had a movie called A Very Vintage Christmas. It, uh, I think it was Showtime. It was a Christmas movie. Uh, I didn't know Agam did a Christmas movie. It was her first time doing For it. For Showtime? Yeah, I think it was... Show- oh, sorry. Uh, li- I think it's Lifetime. 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 What, I, I just know... Yeah, it was Lifetime. And so... Oh. And that, that Probably was- got some edge. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, it was it was fairly tame, but I, she, the kids actually got to see her on screen. Unfortunately, they they can't watch a lot of stuff that I do because of the the kind of subject matter. Mm-hmm. I was in Banff one time, and Claus was on. When I was watching with my parents, and then all of a sudden, I start um, kissing the the other girl, and and my son, one of my sons is like, "Daddy's kissing somebody," and I was like, "Oh no, no, no! Close your eyes." Okay, I was like, <laughs> that was the last time I uh, oh, no. I showed him that my, my, anything I've done, but. Um, but they got to see their mom recently and they were like, I think they were just really enjoying kind of piecing it together and, and, and watching her. And we've actually started to um, entertain the idea of, um, th- there's been a couple of auditions that have come through. I don't, I, we've resisted it, um, but they, mm. I, I, if they enjoy it, I mean, it's something that we'd maybe be open to. Yeah, they're pretty gosh darn cute. They're pretty cute kids, yeah. You've, you put, you put what, Taj? Did you put Taj or was it Forrest oh, in, in the Snake in Mark? Oh, in Snake Mark. That was yeah. Taj. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his, I guess, yeah, he has been in a movie. I didn't even think about that. But um, we just needed I'm a I'm glad I'm here to advocate for him, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he... Uh, he he didn't have a choice, but um, it was we needed a baby in a bad way, and I was like, "Oh, I happen to have one of those." I it's, got two, yeah. but we'll take this one. Yeah, we'll take this one. No <laughs> offense, Forrest. Uh. Wow. I let's let's end with one of my favorite questions to ask, which is about what the fuck moments. Um, do you have those moments where you're like, "Wow, what the fuck? This is actually my life." And so, if so, when do when do those happen? So it's with that tone of voice. It's not like, wow, what the fuck? This is actually my life. Yeah, I've had to actually practice how I say that because some people important. were like, whoa, like, <laughs> do you mean the bad stuff? I'm like, no, no, no I mean stuff. like that. Like for me, it's like, for me, it's a lot. I have those moments in this fucking room all the time, especially since I put out all my toys from when I was, uh, from when I was a grow- emerging nerd back in the 90s. I've now put them out all on display. It's a beautiful display. Yes, thank you. Thank you. But they're not toys, they're actually collectibles. Oh, okay. So, but like, yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, now I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's been decades and I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you and I got a shelf with all my toys on it and this is fucking cool. Absolutely. Yeah, so tone and, of voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, one of my favorite things to do is to travel. Uh, mm. to to work on shows yeah. because I'm combining two big loves of mine and I've been lucky to get to do that a fair amount of times I mean I've I've done I've worked in Cuba and and Colombia and New Orleans and North Carolina and Mexico and uh different parts of Canada and, and the US obviously so it's it's um I think it's for those particular jobs yeah. where it really hits me like oh, what the fuck this is so cool I get to do this uh, I don't know I think it's just because it's it, it feels very fresh because you're in this new environment and it's they picked you they yeah. p- they picked you to get to to fly you on an airplane to take you to this other place that you're not familiar with and and to get to do your craft and I've I've, I've been lucky enough to uh, to get to do that a, a fair amount and hopefully get to do it some more. When was the last time you had that? I guess it would have been Claus. Yeah, because yeah. I was. Uh, I wrapped on Claus this year um, and we were shooting in New Orleans and I was there for four months. And yeah, and okay, little funny story about Claus. Yeah. 2018, the year 2018, I call it the cursed year because nothing was going right. And I, not only with, with my career, but just there were personal things like our sewer line in LA on our home down there burst. And, oh. it, and it was a, uh, it was a, tw- it was like about twenty thousand dollars 
repair that we were responsible <gasps> for. Oh my God. It was, dev- it gutted us. And, um, and it was just, that was at that point, like we were already laughing about when th- something would go wrong. Cause I was like, oh, it's 2018. Of course this is going to happen. And, and it felt the same in my career. I, it just, I got, I got a lot of close, really close calls and it's like, no, not, not going to happen. Going another way or just disaster audition. I, it was just, it was a year where I just, I was like, what am I doing? It was the other kind of what the fuck. Mm. It was the, what the fuck am I doing with yeah. my life? And then Claws came about. And so the way Claws came is, is a, it actually it was almost exactly to this day, one year ago, middle, de- middle of December. I remember because you actually came in to talk with me ab- about a snake marked right before you left. And you're like, I can't tell anybody this yet, but. Right. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Yeah, yes. It and it was, ago. I get a call from my manager and he said, um, so you're being you're not you're on a very short list for this show called Claws. Um, would you be cool with going to New Orleans for four months tomorrow? I was like, uh, uh, I had an audition for that, and it was just something that was not even on my radar, and I was feeling so low, like with regard creatively yeah. and, and all that. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, let's do this. And um, uh, then the, he's like, okay, we're, we're probably going to find out tonight. If we don't hear tonight, then it's probably a no. And then. Um, I was waiting by my phone uh, till like midnight, one in the morning, and the call didn't come. And I, mm. and then I was like, "Of course it didn't come. It's 2018." Yeah. And then uh, the next morning, I wake up, I check my phone, and there's a text. It's like, "You got the job. You need to be on a plane in three hours, <gasps> and you need to go to New Orleans for four months." And um, it was just this absolute gift from the universe that just fell on my plate out of nowhere. Yeah. And that's that's what I love about what, what this industry is like. You never know when it's going to happen. You never. It's just you just have to be persistent and patient and and trust and and things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so that was because that's also what people hate about this industry. Right. And so I was like, you never know when it's going to man tone. Yeah, it's everything. It makes a difference. Delivery, eh? Yeah. But yeah. So that was yeah, and Claus was a wonderful experience. Um, and so, but not for three-year-olds to watch. Not for three-year-olds, definitely not. Yeah. So maybe I'll get my Christmas movie one of these days. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of different kinds of Christmas movies. That's you know, true. in in the in the years ahead. Juan, Juan Friedinger. <laughs> Where can our fans find you on the social media? Because uh, you're better at social media than Ogham. Am I? Yeah, like did she left for a bit. No, she's she said this about herself because she left Twitter for a bit. She has like a hot and cold relationship with social media. You're that, on a little bit. You're on more. I'm on more, but really, I mean, maybe like a po- well, when I'm traveling, I'll post. Yeah. That's because that's my thing. It's like that's something that's interesting, but day to day life stuff, or if I have to promote something, I guess certain throw something on Twitter but I I'm I don't think I'm very good at it uh, but I am on Twitter and, and, and Instagram what's your handle one handle is what I'm trying to say here <laughs> God it's just it's very simple it's my full name with no spaces at Juan Reedinger okay well thank you so much for joining me today this was a long time coming because we've been talking about this for a while so come yeah. back 
Thank you so much, Sabrina. It was amazing. All right. To you, our listeners, we thank you. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined to help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. Furminger. And it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger. We're a family business for technical support. And to Dane Develay for the original music. And to the trucks that are beeping in... Just outside. Right on cue. Just right on cue, right outside the window. Wyvere Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And.